Well, good morning. Why don't you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. Even though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, perfect love is casting out fear. Even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of the I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. If my God is with me, whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? Oh, no, you never let go through the calm, through the storm. You guys can be seated. 
excited, overjoyed, and you can see it on their face, you can see it on their eyes. Some of them are receiving the gifts for the very first time. It's a symbol to know that God knows me and God loves me. Jesus loves you. Before handing out the boxes, we share the gospel with them. Through this shoebox, we want to tell a child that God loves you and he has created you. We've been able to touch the lives of children all over the world to give them a gift and do it in Jesus' name. Osis is making a difference by bringing this joy, but also giving them the true gift, which is Jesus. It's changing the globe. Volunteers from all walks of life and all ages love packing Operation Christmas Child Shoebox gifts. Good job. Operation Christmas Child is seriously one of the best things going on in the world right now. Operation Christmas Child is carried on the backs of volunteers. They are incredible people. They just love doing it. It's humbling to know that you're taking part in spreading the Word of God to children that you've never even met. You're showing them the love of Christ. There's going to be a lot of happiness, and I'm glad I'm a part of it. When we pray, God takes your gift, and He begins to navigate it. Your gifts are then given to children around the world, and that's only the beginning. After a child receives a shoebox, they are invited to a follow-up discipleship program. The Greatest Journey is a 12-lesson program where the child gets an opportunity to learn more about Jesus. It provides a summary of, of the gospel message in a way that a child will be able to engage and understand. Through The Greatest Journey, children are growing now knowing the Lord. When you give a gift and you give it in Jesus' name, God takes that and multiplies it. Every shoebox is really the beginning of the journey of evangelism and discipleship, and that leads into multiplication. Through a very small thing, God is touching the world. From the shoebox to the greatest journey, this is the Great Commission. A shoebox puts a smile on the face of a kid anywhere in the world. For the rest of their lives, they remember that box. Isn't it incredible to see the impact that these simple gifts are making in the lives of children all over the world? Millions of children are being blessed, not only by the items in each box, but by your prayers. So thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. We never have enough boxes. We always need more. So please continue to help and continue to pray. God bless you and thank you. Good morning, everybody. It has, uh, as I tell you every year, I had the privilege a few years back of going on a distribution down in Panama, and uh, every one of them, we went, to, I think we did five of them, where we went to different parts of Panama uh, and gave these boxes out. It is just like in those videos. I mean, those kids' faces light up, and every one of those, the gospel is presented, uh, and then uh, that, they, they do what's called the greatest gift party, and that is giving them the uh, gifts that we have packed. And then they present the gospel to every child. And then each of the children and their families are invited back for, it's usually once a week for 12 weeks, to follow up in what's called the greatest journey. And that is discipleship. It introduces people to a relationship with Christ and helps them grow. And at the end of that time, and we got to participate in a couple of these, there was a graduation service. You might have seen some of the graduation hats in there. At the end of the 12 weeks, for somebody who's been every week, they have the opportunity to graduate and, and, and be invited. But 
one of the things that happens in this that most people don't recognize with Operation Christmas Child is many of these churches have pastors that are evangelists. They are native evangelists that came to know the Lord uh, and wanted to spend their life going out and sharing Christ with others. But they have no training in discipling or growing people up. So they get this model and they learn what it means to disciple and take people through the word of God. So it is hitting at every level. I think it's, I think it's probably the finest um, international mission program out there. And it's highly effective. These presents obviously won't make it to many places in the world at Christmas, but throughout the whole year, this goes on. So they're giving, they're giving these presents out every month of the year in different locations. They'll, there'll be hundreds of millions of them going out this year, and we get to be a part of that. Uh, many of you have already made boxes. Uh, if you have not, you have till tomorrow afternoon, early afternoon. Um, uh, but tomorrow is our big day. We are uniquely privileged and, uh, to actually take and create these boxes uh, tomorrow, and then we will fill up those two semi-trailer uh, trailers out front. Those will be full, and Tuesday, mo Tuesday morning, uh, the company will come, and they'll pick those up, take them to Dallas. Every one of those will be opened, and they'll take out things that are illegal to transport across borders and uh, go through, and then they'll start making their trek across the globe. So if you haven't gotten a box, uh, please do that. You can, you can bring it tomorrow. All day will be open. Uh, if you have gotten a box or if you can't afford it, we can sure use your help tomorrow. That's a big day, uh, especially after 2.30ish. Uh, till about 6.30, we will be loading the trailers. Uh, we have a forklift coming that will help us do some of our lifting. But, boy, especially if you have a strong back, we need you tomorrow afternoon. If you have any questions, you can talk to Chastity Overby, who's overseeing this. But I do want to take some time this morning and pray for all of the children that will be receiving boxes as well, uh, as, well as uh, for the ones that we as a church have packed. So let's just take a moment and uh, let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless uh, these, the, this wonderful ministry. Father, we thank you. Uh, that you allow us to participate with believers in this country and all across the globe. Uh, Father, we, we are privileged to, uh, to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ until you return. And Lord, it, it, we have been promised in Scripture that when you return, every tongue across the globe will have heard that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And uh, we can debate theology and doctrine all day, but one thing we will not debate, and that is that salvation is available to every man, woman, and child no matter what their sin is, no matter what their socioeconomic status, no matter what their race is. And Father, I thank you for Samaritan's Purse and Franklin Graham's vision for this. And we thank you for their effectiveness all across the globe. And Lord Jesus, I pray you bless this ministry. I pray you protect them. And I, pray, I thank you for the privilege we have to be a part of it. I pray, Father, for every box that will be touched by a Carpenter's Way uh, volunteer. Uh, I pray for every box that will go through this, every, every crate that will be packed into these trucks tomorrow that you would use them, that you would protect them, and that children and families across the globe would come to know you as their Lord and Savior because of, uh, because of your Holy Spirit using us. We're thankful, Father, we've been invited to participate with you in ministry, and we, uh, we, I pray that we would rise to the occasion. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, lots going on, so we're going to take a few extra minutes this morning in our announcement time and, and highlight some things. I've already mentioned to you, oh, so take your worship guides and open them. Let me just say, if you're visiting with us or if you're watching online, we're glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, we hope and pray that you're encouraged having been with us today. Um, we're just glad you're here. If you're in this room and uh, you've been visiting for a while, you have some questions immediately after our service this morning, I'm going to be hanging around, hanging around out front. Come shake my hand. I'd love to meet you and answer any questions that you may have. 
Uh, lots of stuff coming up, and we would love for you, even if you're a visitor or you're on the Internet, we'd love to have you actively involved. Uh, a couple things. In the middle of your worship guide, there's some uh, important things going on. Uh, we had our annual business meeting last week, and our officers that were nominated as well as the budget was passed uh, overwhelmingly, so that deals with that. Um, I had already mentioned that tomorrow is the last day for Operation Christmas Child, and uh, we can use your help. Even if you didn't sign up, just show up tomorrow, especially, like I said, after 2.30. Uh, we will uh, be working hard, uh, and even if you can't, uh, even if you can't lift boxes, we need you tomorrow morning till around 3 o'clock in the afternoon to receive boxes and check them in. So even if you're physically not able to lift a crate, that's, that's okay. There's going to be others of us that can do that, but we can sure use your help, and Chastity would appreciate that as well. So uh, that is again tomorrow. Um, so after tomorrow then, Tuesday is our agape feast, and that is, that is our potluck. It there is no good food there. It's all bad, good-tasting food. I I'm just kidding. Uh, there will be good for you food there. Sure, I'm sure it's, it'll be on the end. Um, but, but we want you to come. We want you to bring your family. If you're watching on the Internet, we want you to come. The only entrance fee is two side dishes that you would normally have at a Thanksgiving meal that you like. Just bring them. Yes, people will be picking up pizza and chicken as well and whatever's easy for you. But, boy, this is Tuesday night at 630. We are um, immediately after service today. I'll get into that in a minute. We're going to turn this into a dining hall. We'll put take up these chairs and put tables up. But I have a very special thing that's be going on. We're going to have about 20 minutes the Anna and Zach Wilkie game show. So we're really excited about that. And uh, if you're wondering what that is, uh, so am I. But we'll find out Tuesday night. But this is our family event. We're gonna, I, I've said before that if you could fit in my living room, we would meet there. And uh, so we're going, to, we're going to turn this into a living room, and we're going to do a family event. We're going to have dinner together. We're going to play some games together at the Anna and Zach Wilkie show. Anna first. Is that better? She's been saying that Zach always gets first billing, so she'd like first billing this time. So the Anna and Zach Wilkie show. Uh, and, uh, again, it's going to be a great time. Even if you're visiting, if you're not a member of Carpenter's Way, we want you to come out. We'd love to fill this place, and, and we would love to have you. So uh, that's Tuesday night. Uh, immediately following the service, healthy men, we need some help. This is what we're going to do. We need to clear the middle. We're going to stack these up. Is it seven high? I think six or seven chairs high. And these will be taken out those back doors into the hallway. Then we're going to bring in tables, and then we're going to take all the side chairs and put them around the tables. We'll fill this room. So if, is that about right, Steve? So if you're able to help us, it'll take about 10 minutes, and we'll get this done and set up. And then we want you all back Tuesday night if you're able to be here. And I know some of you have family events out of town. You're lost. It's the Zan Annie and Zach show. So it's going to be fun. So that is Tuesday. Uh, I want also to mention, Julie, did you want to talk about the ladies' event? There's a ladies' event coming up on December 4th. <laughs> Please take note of it. Sign up at the table out there. Um, and it is in the evening, and it's dark, and we know that some, of some ladies uh, do not like to drive at night. And so we have a Carpenter's Way version of Uber. I'm willing to pick you up and bring you. <laughs> Personal time with Pastor Mark. Um, so this is a good chance to complain or share with me. I'm just teasing. But if you need a ride, don't let that keep you from coming. I would be glad to pick you up. Uh, Daryl Douglas has also volunteered just now. And uh, he's like, Listen, if you need a ride, we'll make sure you get there. And uh, we, just want, we, just, we just want you to be there. And uh, if there's a person you don't want to ride with, I certainly understand. I've ridden with Daryl. He's not great. So, um, One more thing. I, I know lots of stuff. Uh, 
If you are not uh, friends with us on Carpenters Around Facebook, you need to do that because this year we're going to offer an Advent calendar. Each day I'm going to be sending out scriptures to you from starting December 1st through, 1st through the 25th um, through that Facebook page that you can just read as your family or as an individual. But we want, you to, we want you to anticipate the celebration of the 25th this year. And this is going to help us do this. We'll use social media. I know some of you don't have Facebook. Um, find a friend who does. Okay. Uh, so uh, check, check out the rest of the stuff in your worship guide. Um, Mr. Bustler is going to come up at this point. Brad is going to come up, make an announcement. Then I'll come up and we'll take our offering and continue with our service. I hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving. Such a fun week. Just wanted to remind everybody as a member of the personnel team, I, I am the door guard, but I'm also on the personnel team, that we're taking an offering up for our staff and uh, they do an outstanding job. And uh, we're just so pleased that we can do this every year to honor them. Uh, next Sunday is the last Sunday, so please, if not this Sunday, next Sunday, uh, make an offering. We'll gather that money together and divide it up equally among the staff to show how much we uh, enjoy their service to us. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Uh, if I can have the ushers come forward at this time. If you are visiting with us, if this is not your home church, uh, we ask that you just pass the plate as it comes by. You don't need to give. Um, as we start nearing the end of the year, Carpenter's Way family, uh, we uh, would ask you to continue your faithful giving. I know there's a lot of expenses and stuff, but uh, this is how we pay for our mission work and, and our staff and pay the bills and all, and we just want to encourage you to do that. And uh, again, what a great week. I hope you eat too much turkey. I know that many of you don't eat turkey on the holidays. Whatever you deep fry, I hope it, it sets well. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. and uh, Lord, we're thankful for this country. We're thankful for uh, those who were brave enough to come here from different parts of the world. We're thankful for those who were born here. We're thankful for those who have been here for hundreds of years, Father, before uh, people came from Europe. Father, we're just thankful we live in a country that's resources are overwhelming from oil and gas to uh, land that grows food well, that land that can raise cattle. We at times take for granted the democracy we live in. We get frustrated with it. We become angry with it. But at some point, we have to stop talking, take a deep breath, and thank you for these gifts. And that's what this week is about. You're central to it, especially for a child of God. Father, may we not forget that you have done all these things for us through us so that we can gift others. Millions of gifts will go across the globe that will come out of the wealth of us to tell people about you. So I pray as we go into this holiday season, I pray for our church family that we'll be gathering with people that maybe they haven't seen for months or sometimes years. There'll be difficulty at some of the tables. But may we as the children of God remember that our real citizenship is in heaven and that those people that may or may not be easy to have a meal with are created in your image and, and have the opportunity to know you as their Savior. So I pray this wouldn't just be a week of festive eating and celebration, but would be a one of ministry. Lord, we do love you. I just pray you'll help us to love you more than we love ourselves and our company. So we commit our service to you now. We turn our face back to you. I thank you for those who will be giving financially as part of their worship this morning. I pray you bless them as they bless you and bless us. We'll be careful to use those monies for your glory 
Father, thank you again for this morning, and I pray that we would honor you with our time and our thoughts, and you would transform us for having been here. In Jesus' name we pray. tell we're doing something a little different this morning um i don't know if you know this but there's an unwritten rule for musicians uh you cannot do an acoustic set standing up so we are going to be sitting down but you guys are more than welcome to stand if you want to Declare who you are, and I'm so unworthy, 
ago, I did this uh, two-week series on the Lord's Prayer, and um, the reason I wanted to do that is because I think it's one of those things, um, if you're like me, you grew up hearing it all the time, if you played sports, we prayed before, like, at the end of every practice, before every game, and we said this, we said the Lord's Prayer, and it kind of becomes one of those things that you just hear it so much that you just kind of put it in the back of your head, and you kind of forget, you kind of forget how important it is, and so... I wanted to do this little series when I got the, the chance to preach about that, and in the middle of that, I worked on a song, uh, kind of with the hope and the prayer that maybe we could bring it back more to remembering uh, something that's a little more fresh and something that you can, I don't know, maybe take home and sing. Um, and so that was, I wrote this song, and we're going to read through the Lord's Prayer here in just a second, but um, I always wonder, like, should I set up a song, should I kind of tell you, but that's kind of the heart behind the song. Um, just the idea of like maybe we can take this and it can kind of become this fresh, this new thing of like it's not just the Lord's Prayer. It's not just something we used to say when we were little. And uh, so that's, that's kind of the heart, the prayer behind it is um, hopefully it's something that we can sing together and uh, keep singing in the future. But uh, if you will, we're going to read through. Um, originally, um, is that the New Living Translation, Kip? Okay, uh, so it's going to sound a little different to you, probably what you, you grew up listening to, but uh, read this with me. Uh, when you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. Join with me. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And lead us, and sorry, and don't let us yield, it's just so there. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And you probably grew up hearing, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Father God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom. Blessed be the name, oh God. Blessed be your name, oh God. Oh, blessed be your name, oh God. Amen. Give us this day 
We'll sing your praise. 
seated. As our children are dismissed, uh, they're going to begin their preparing for our Christmas family right the Sunday before Christmas. I think it's like the 24th, 23rd this year. Um, we have our family Christmas morning, and uh, they'll be participating with us in some music, and it's, it's going to be a great morning. You know, as I sit here, uh, and I think maybe part of it was the acoustic set, um, it's pretty awesome to hear you sing, and to hear you sing the Lord's Prayer in a new way, Listen to you try to find the the melody. It's beautiful. I uh, I don't know how you change it. You can't change it. But you know, all we are is a family. That's all. It's not an organiz- It's not a business called church. What we do together is family. Um, and we function like a family. I mean, we're going to eat together. Uh, we uh, we talk about our dad all the time. We get together each week and remind each other as a family that it's okay. It's just, a, it's just a family, and uh, I just want to encourage you. I want to stretch. I want to encourage you to stretch beyond religion and be involved in the family side of business. It's a fine thing to listen to me preach and listen to the worship, but boy, if you can, come out, come out Tuesday night. Just come join us and, and eat and get to know some folks, and, uh, and we just, we'll just be glad to have you there. And, and uh, it's, just, it's just a good week. I think Thanksgiving is actually my favorite week of the year, and, and uh, it's going to be neat because... Zach and his fiance will be home, and Annie's already home. And uh, it's just a chance for us to gather together and have some food together. Um, we have, uh, we are trying with with Zach being in Fort Worth. It's our goal every four or five weeks to find a restaurant halfway between Fort Worth and Lovechin and sit down across the table from each other in a private room and share our our lives. What's going on? Look in each other's eyes. There's nothing like family, you guys, except the family of God. Because out there, even in our own families, there's difficulty and trial and tribulation. But the family of God looks in each other's eyes and reminds each other that beyond this life, there's hope. There's hope. Uh, this, this life goes fast. Um, the older I get, the faster it seems to go. I move slower. My life moves faster. Um, but I'll tell you what, uh, the more precious this becomes. This, this is precious. And uh, this, is, this is really important, what we do. Because out there is noise and chaos and technology comes and goes, but man, the Word of God and His family, we will endure forever, and I just encourage you to love on each other. Um, thanks for taking time out to be here this morning. I just love to hear you sing. I love to look in your face. It's so encouraging to me, and you're not always here for yourself. Sometimes you're here for the people around you, and uh, I just, I don't know, I was kind of touched this morning by sitting next to my little girl, and who's not so little anymore. I mean, you're still little. Yeah, anyway. Um, sit next to my little girl and listen to you guys sing. And pretty cool. All right, let's let's talk to God. Thank you, Father. Uh, now put our mind on you. Amen. Don't let us be religious. Amen. Ah, this is a sad story. This is a sad story. It's a true story. Stick with me the whole time. I think you'll leave with a lot on your mind. 1 Kings 3, 5 through 9. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. Solomon is David and Bathsheba's son who becomes king. And God said, what do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I, I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. 
And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they can't even be counted. Give me understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? By the time that God and Solomon have this conversation, Solomon has already broken God's clear instructions for him not to intermarry with anyone that is not a Jewish person. He's already in the text, we looked at this last week, he's already married an Egyptian princess in order to make peace with her family and and the nation. But as God does with us, even when we sin, he continues to meet him and even offers him anything he wants as he begins his task as the third king of his nation. Being overwhelmed with his responsibilities, Solomon asked God for wisdom. Wisdom to lead this this mass group of people that he feels unusually unqualified to lead. So he asked for wisdom. Not wealth, not a long life, but wisdom. And God's response to that in chapter 3, verse 10, is the Lord was pleased with Solomon that he had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people in justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you have asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart, such as no one has ever had or will ever have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow, so the first part was unconditional. I'm going to make you wise. I'm going to make you rich. I'm going to make you famous. But if you keep uh, follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I'll give you a long life as well. Then Solomon woke up and realized he had been, uh, it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem and he stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then he invited all of his officials to this great banquet. This is what it looks like for God to give you a gift. This is what it looks like for God to give you a tool with which you can accomplish the task that he has prepared for you to do. This is what that looks like. Even today, when we think of Solomon, we think of the wisest man to ever live, and we kind of write off. I mean, I know we know it, but we kind of write off the fact that that wisdom that made him famous, that still makes him famous, was just a gift from God to help him accomplish his task. Verse 16, sometime later, this is what that looked like in action. Sometime later, two prostitutes came to the king to have an argument settled. Please, my Lord, one of them began. This woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. Three days later, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There were only two of us in the house. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. And when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. Then the other woman interrupted, it certainly was your son, and the living child is mine. No, the first woman said, the living child is mine, and the dead one is yours. And so they argued back and forth before the king. Then the king said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours, and each says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to one woman and half to the other. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh, no, my Lord, give her the child. Please don't kill him. But the other woman said, All right, he would neither be yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Then the king said, Do not kill the child, but give him to the woman 
who wants him to live, for she is his real mother. When all, and this is the pivotal part, this is the important part here, verse 28. When all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. Despite being only half-hearted for God, as we talked about, you remember that we looked at all three kings last week, and we talked about the fact that Saul had no heart for God. David had a whole heart for God, and you'll see that in this morning's text. And Solomon had a half heart for God. Despite only having a half heart for God, this is what it looked like for God to give him a gift and use it in his path. This is what that looked like. To be clear, and you're going to see that throughout today's text, this wisdom that he uses, that he functions on, that can make him famous and wealthy, was not natural to Solomon. It was not something he was born with. It was a gift given to him and to honor the nation that Solomon was to serve. It was a gift from God. In the next seven chapters of 1 Kings, it lays out Solomon's successes resulting directly from this gift God gave him of wisdom. Listen how the author describes the national mojo at this time. 1 Kings chapter 4, and you can see it on the screen. I'm going to jump through some of these verses. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 20 says this, The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They were very contented with plenty to eat and drink. Solomon ruled over the kingdoms from the Euphrates River in the north to the land of the Philistines on the, and the border of Egypt in the south. The conquered people of those lands sent tribute money to Solomon and continued to serve him throughout his lifetime. Chapter 4, verse 25. During the lifetime of Solomon, all of Jude, Judah and Israel lived in peace and safety. And from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, each family had its own home and garden. Verses 29 and 34 in chapter 4. God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding. Please notice that the author keeps pointing that out. God gave it to him. And knowledge as vast as the sand of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded all of uh, that of all of the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezra, uh, Ezraite, and the sons of Mahol, Hermon, Calcol, and Darja. Y'all know them, right? His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in the wall. He could also speak about animals and birds and small creatures and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to just listen to the wisdom of this man. This wisdom, this gift God gave him, drew people to Solomon. It was a gift from the Lord, not just for him, but for the nation as a whole, to bless them, to enhance them. This wildly rebellious nation of Jews was gifted by, uh, of this man and his gift set to them. In 1 Kings chapter 5-7, to 7, the following few chapters, the author continues the success of this king and the nation by telling us of his building of the temple. You remember where the Ark of the Covenant would be held. It tells us that, that about his throne, and it describes what it looked like. It talks about the palace that he built. In chapter 8, we are offered details of Solomon as the Ark of the Covenant is brought into the temple, completing its process. He carried the Ark, by the way. The priests did that. And then in chapter 9, we read God's response to the completion of this temple. This place of worship where where both Jews and Gentiles alike would come and to offer sacrifices to God. And this was the Lord's response to Solomon and the nation 
in the building of this temple. 1 Kings 9, 3-10. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your, your petition. I have set this temple apart to be holy. This place you have built where my name will be honored forever, I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. As for you, if you follow me with integrity and godliness as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and my regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty for, of, over Israel forever. For I have made this promise to your father David. One of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel. Verse 6. But if you or your descendants abandon me and disobey the commands and decrees I have given you, and if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot Israel from this land I have given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by it will be appalled and will gasp in horror. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be, because the people abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and they worshipped other gods instead of, and bowed down to them. That is why the Lord has brought all this disasters upon them. It took Solomon 20 years to build the Lord's temple and his own royal palace. Within God's response to the building of the temple, you find the answer that is asked all the time, even today. Why is this Hebrew nation, this chosen people, why are they still a mess? Why is there no temple right now in 2018? Why don't they? Why is it that during the birth of Christ, the Romans ruled over the Hebrew people? Why didn't they have their nation? Why after Solomon does the nation split into two and then eventually into four and never regain her pride? And even until the 1900s, did they even have a homeland? This answered that question. She abandoned the Lord her God. That's why. He promised that would happen. This, this season that we're reading about of, of Solomon leading was an amazing season. In fact, I've told you before that sometimes I find, uh, once in a great while, about every week, I find out something corrected as we read on in Scripture. And I was telling you that there was about a 10-year period during David's reign that I thought was Camelot-ish that seemed like there were peace, well, I'm wrong. This actually could be argued was a better period of time, and it lasted 20-something years. This is what the Hebrew nation looked like for the 20 years following David's death. It's incredible. There's one more thing that I want to point out to you, and you all know now that not every story of Scripture has the whole conversation. It's a skeleton, and if you read in different places that tell the same story, you learn more. Well, I want to read from you the other thing that the Lord said at the dedication of the temple on this day we're talking about from 2 Chronicles 7. 2 Chronicles 7, 12 says, Then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said this, I have heard your prayer and chosen this temple as a place for making sacrifices. At times, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls, or command grasshoppers to devour your crops, or send plagues among you. Then, when this happens, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek, from their, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple to be set apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. That verse that you are familiar with because we throw it around in America like a piece of candy is significant historically. At the dedication of the temple, 
God, knowing that these people would turn their back on him, knowing what was about to happen, knowing that Solomon's heart wasn't even committed to him, knowing that already makes a path for them to be forgiven, already tells them, if, if, if I show you you have broken the covenant with me by your experience, if you lose the temple, if you lose the land, if your crops are devoured by grasshoppers, all you have to do is humble yourselves and pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways, and I, w- I promise that I will hear from heaven, forgive your sin, and heal your land. How great is their God? How gracious is their God? I know. I know that I know that. I, I know you know this. I know you're bored of this, but you have to understand. Why doesn't he just destroy them with a flood like he did one other time? Because of his great mercy, my friends. Because of his mercy. At the day they dedicate the temple and everybody's going, oh, we love you, God. And God goes, I love you too. High five and hey, let's hug. And they're having this great moment. God whispers into Solomon's ear, you're going to turn your back on me. No, I would never do that. Yes, you are. Do you remember when else he did this? With Peter in the upper room. Peter says to Jesus, where are you going? I'll go with you. I'll die with you. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. Three times. No, I never will. Yes, you will. But don't forget, Peter. I'll meet you in a week in Galilee. Jesus was saying that I am going to pay for your denial. I'm going to pay for your sin. And in this Jehovah under the old covenant, people who think God of the Old Testament is angry, is whispering in their ears, if you will just return to me, if you'll just ask me, I will forgive. I just, I just want to sidebar this for a second. This is not a verse to the United States of America. Anybody who teaches that it is is ignorant and understanding of Scripture. And it belittles the covenant that God made with these people and the love that he had with them. Philosophically, it's true. And there's plenty of verses in the New Testament that says God is near those who seek him. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But to steal a promise to this precious moment of time is wrong. God does not promise to heal America. And I'm telling you, the day is coming, from my understanding of Scripture, the day is coming when this nation will be surrounded by the enemies of the world that hate them. This ragtag group of Hebrews that to this day has very few friends. Even the United States is teetering on no longer being a friend of these people. But I assure you that one day when the armies of this world rise up against the nation of Israel, they will bow the knee. Revelation and Daniel both tell us that. They will bow the knee, and they will humble themselves before God, and they will ask Him to forgive their sin, and He will hear from heaven, and He will heal their land. And He will defend them and defeat their enemies, and He will take the throne in Jerusalem. He will sit on that throne as their king, as their eternal king, just as we have been studying God promised to David and now to Solomon. It's an incredible story. Know the Scriptures, though. Because the promises to you are just as beautiful as the promises that God made to this nation. You and I, although Gentiles, most of us, are a covenant people, but it's the covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. When you watch the news, when you listen to what's going on in Israel, pray for Israel. Pray for the blessing of Israel. You can participate even in that, but please understand that the nation of Israel is in the condition she is in because of this promise. She is still a mess. And Netanyahu is still in broken covenant with Jehovah God. And God would fix it like that if they would just get on their knees and pray. Pray for nation of Israel. 
Pray for the revival of God's chosen nation. It's an amazing, sweet time of history when all this happens, though. It's a sweet time for Solomon. And, and, and I want to emphasize just how blessed this guy is by reading you 1 Kings chapter 10. When the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, and whether you're a historical nut or not, you've heard of the queen of Sheba. Listen to what, what listen to this, this is incredible. This is a true story. When the queen of Sheba heard of Solomon's fame, which brought honor to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She arrived in Jerusalem with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices. I'm going to start reading really fast, so listen like a Yankee, okay? I'm going to talk like a Yankee. Large quantities of gold and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had on her mind. Solomon had answers for all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba realized how very wise he was, and when she saw how he had, uh, the palace that he had built, she was overwhelmed. She was also amazed at the food on his table, the organization of his officials and the splendid clothing, the cupbearers and the burnt offerings Solomon made to the, at the temple of the Lord. She exclaimed to the king, everything I heard about in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had heard only half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord your God who delights in you, who has placed you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord's eternal love of Israel has made you king so you can rule with justice and righteousness. I want you to understand that even the queen of Sheba identified that it was the God of Solomon that was blessing him. I want to remind you that the Egyptians were very religious people. They weren't anti-gods. They were about finding the gods that had power. So for Sheba to go to him, the queen of Sheba to go to him, she's trying to figure out who this God is. We have no knowledge of what happens after this, but there are people that believe she started worshiping Jehovah as a result of this. And Kip, this is a little note for you. I'm, I'm going to skip the, next, the rest of chapter 11 because of time. But I want you to I, I, sometime read it. It will blow your mind just how wealthy and rich and successful this king is. God blesses him, and that's what I want you to get. I want you to see that God blesses him simply because he asked for wisdom. But man, oh man, he's a fool. He is a fool. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 to 8. After telling us in the first 10 chapters how blessed he is, how wise he is, that even the Egyptian queen is blown away by his wisdom, chapter 11 tells us this. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from uh, among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they'll turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. In case you're counting, that's 1,000 women that are considered your wives. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon worshipped the Asherah, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had been. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he had even, he had even built a pagan shrine for the Kimah, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all of his foreign wives to use for burning incense and sacrificing to their gods. Wow! 
Now, if I had more time, I would build this up so that your heart would be moved, but your heart should be moved by this. This is what it looks like to be gifted by God so the whole world knows and sees your spiritual gifts and watches God bless and still do your own thing. This is what that looks like. And just so you're clear, that's not far different from us. I know that Solomon's a big name, but I want to remind you that when it comes to God's plan in the world, he's got a plan for your neighborhood. He's got a plan for your family. He's got a plan for your workplace. And he placed you as a missionary in that place. In, in, in fact, in, in terms of God's plan and his governance of the world and his drawing people to himself, I just want to make it clear to you that God doesn't think more of Solomon's task than your task. They're the same. You have just as intense a responsibility and I as Solomon or David. It's just that they are famous. They had bigger crowds of people. But, the, but, but raising your child is just as significant in God's economy than this is. And this guy refused to follow the Lord completely. In fact, he insisted on doing what he wanted to do in his flesh. And just as God warned, it turned their heart away from him. Solomon loved God, according to 1 Kings chapter 3, I shared with you last week. But he loved himself more. Solomon loved God. There's no doubt about that. The inspired word of God tells us in 1 Kings 3, he loved God. But he loved his flesh and his wants more. In uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, Solomon would write this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he'll show you which path to take. Do not be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, and we're going to leave this up here, Kip. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Do, do you know why Solomon wrote this to his sons at the end of his life? Because Solomon, the wisest, richest, most successful person in the history of humanity, leaned on his own wisdom. He was impressed with himself instead of the God who gave him that gift. He started reading his own press releases and believing them. The truth is, he learned to lean on his own understanding and it caused destruction. He didn't turn away from evil because he didn't fear the Lord. And it destroys him. And eventually it's going to destroy his children. More on that in two weeks. 1 Kings 11, 9 through 13. The Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had been turned or had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon didn't listen to the Lord's command. So now the Lord said to him, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father David, I will not do this while you're still alive. That's the lesson in two weeks. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. You're going to see again what the high cost of self-love over God love is. The high cost of taking God lightly. 
the high cost of sin, even forgiven sin, will be felt by his children and the nation for the next 2,000 years, the next three, the next 5,000 years. The, the, the Hebrew people to this day are still feeling the sting of the rebellion of the nation when they chose a human king, of the human king Saul, of the human king David, and the human king Solomon. They are still to this day. When you look at Israel, when you visit Israel, when you wonder what happened, you now know the answer. They turned their back on the one who blessed them. They turned their back on the one who loved them. They turned their back on the one that they loved. And it is shocking. It's shocking to read this about these men who had been given so much and how easily they were at throwing God away to lean on themselves instead of God who was empowering them, who had blessed them. They loved their, themselves and their flesh more than they loved the God that they had abandoned. And it is shocking until you read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. You know, son, Paul's writing to young Pastor Timothy. You know this, Timothy, that in the last days, they're going to be very difficult times. Why, Pastor Paul? Because people will love only themselves and their money. Who's he writing to? Pastor Timothy. Who's he writing about? The church. The church. The church is going to have the same inclination that Solomon had. The church is going to love God, but they're going to love themselves more. Verse 5 tells us what that's going to look like, and there's some examples in there, but I want to jump to verse 5. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Timothy, be careful. Be careful because a time is coming when people will love themselves and their money more than they love God. Do you remember the, of the seven letters written to the churches in Revelation? One of the letters is written to the church of Ephesus, and, and, and this is the church that had good leadership. He said he's proud of them. They didn't tolerate bad teaching or bad doctrine. He said, I just have this one thing against you. You don't love me anymore. What happens when God's followers no longer love him? What happens when we decide that we're pretty good at this? We got this down. We, we want to keep doing what we do, but we also want to keep doing what we want to do. I want to show you something. Ephesians 2.10. Let me show you. I know you're bored of this verse. I bring it up almost every week. I realize that. But it's because we don't... I want you to get this. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. All right. I'm really afraid you're going to miss my point here, so let's keep that up there. I want you to think about this. We live in a culture and a time of self-actualization. Uh, that's psychological mumbo-jumbo. In, in other words, when, when many of us, and I'm 53 uh, in a couple of weeks, gifts are accepted. Um, I'm, I'm 53. When I grew up in the church, it was, it was about God, and we've got we to gotta empty ourselves for God. And, and, uh, and it was legalistic, to be truthful with you. Um, it was too far. It's a pendulum swing. Well, in my lifetime, the church has discovered grace, which is a good thing. But the pendulum has swing, swung so far that people actually think that they are the masterpiece of God because of the DNA makeup that God made them when they were in their mother's womb. That is not what this is talking about. This verse, no matter how many, and I've and I got to tell you something, we are in an alarming time 
right now where verses are being taken out of context willy-nilly because they look good on a card, not because they're true. I'm going to give you two examples. I already gave you one. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn to that is not to the United States of America. There's no way you can make it to the United States of America. If you can take that and, and apply that to this country, then you have to believe in throwing rattlesnakes as part of worship because the Bible does say that a righteous man will be bit by a poisonous snake and not die. You can't. You've got to have a consistent Bible study technique. It's a dangerous time. Some of you ladies are throwing verses around the Internet that says she will be, in, in this Me Too era, where it says she will be clothed in beauty. Remember that Psalms verse? You've seen it. Some of you have posted it. That's talking about the city of Jerusalem. It's not talking about a woman. Well, I don't know that, and I think it's pretty. Well, so do rattlesnake handlers. It matters. Context matters. And this verse is not telling you that you're a pretty person. Oh, you need better self-esteem. I want you to tear it apart. This verse is saying that God has redeemed us and retooled, recreated us through Christ as a perfectly, masterfully built tool. That the subject of this statement is, God's, is God. The verb is the work of God. And why did he do this? Look at the end. So that we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are not here to tell ourselves how wonderful we are in our flesh. We're living in a time, even in a church today, not just Carpenter's Way, but the universal church, where people are beginning to say, I was just born this way, and since God loves me, he's going to accept me as I am. That's not true. He doesn't accept you as you are. That's why he came and slaughtered Jesus for you, so that he could redeem you and transform you. I understand that your flesh wants something different than God wants. But to find yourself into... I'm going to give a statistic, and I, I, you can email all day. I'll send them on to Jeff Bonner. But, but there is a statistic that is absolutely shocking. The transgender thing that's going on, when, there's like almost 40 to 50%. My numbers are a little askew, but I'm close. 40, 40 to 50% of people who struggle with gender identity issues are suicidal. After transgender surgery, Boy becoming girl, girl becoming boy genetically, transformation. There's almost 90% suicide rate. Do you know why? Because you keep thinking that what I want is more of my flesh. All I need is more women. All I need is more of me. All I need is to be accepted as I am. And the problem is there's never enough to fill the gap except God. And it's in the church too. If you struggle with same-sex addictions or, or attraction. That's a normal sin struggle for you. If you struggle, men, looking at women, that's a sin struggle of your flesh. Ladies, if you wish you were married to somebody different than your husband or a man who took care of you better, that's a normal thing. It is not, the question is not whether or not you are tempted or struggle. The question is whether you're Solomon or not. Solomon sat before the Queen of Sheba, and I am sure that with a thousand wives already, he thought she was pretty hot. He had no business making it a thousand and one. Actually, he was forbidden from having many wives by the laws of the Hebrews. The, you understand the point I'm making? We are taking these verses now, and this verse is right now being used 
to say, look, I know you struggle with these things, and God understands it too, and he loves you, and his grace is sufficient, so just go ahead and live any way you want. That's not what Scripture says. That's not what this verse says. This verse says that after salvation in Christ Jesus, he created you anew. The Holy Spirit is beginning to transform you into a new person, and he's doing it so that you can accomplish the things he wanted you to long ago. And now I take you back to Solomon. That's all that was Solomon's thing. God gave him wisdom because God called him to be the third king of the nation. He would need that wisdom to accomplish the things God wanted to accomplish, specifically to build the temple, to build up the nation. God had promised David that this was going to happen. To do that, he would need this tool. Solomon began believing, I'm a pretty smart guy. And you know what? As a smart guy, if I marry a thousand women, I can have peace with a thousand nations, and peace is the goal. Peace is not the goal. God is the goal. I, I, I just, I, I, want, I want you to know that peace is not the goal of a child of God. Racial reconciliation is not the goal. Heterosexual marriage isn't the goal. The goal is truth being proclaimed. The goal is for us to live out using our gift set, being surrendered to the Holy Spirit, living out our lives, surrendering our desires to the Lord so that the world looks at us and goes, you're crazy, how are you doing it? But let me tell you about my dad. You know, most Christians today know John 3.16. Most of the world does. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth won't perish but have eternal life. Well, that same Jesus said this in Luke 14. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Don't begin, to, uh, don't begin until you've counted the cost. <laughs> Try that as an altar call. For who can begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. Now you know what's wrong with the church. They would say, there's a person who started the building but couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down and with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat 20,000 soldiers marching against them? And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace with the enemy is still far off. So you can't become my disciple without giving everything you own up. You want to know what happened to Solomon and eventually the Hebrew nation? And again, we're going to get into this in a few weeks. Ezekiel 16, 17. Read it. Let's take a moment. Let it soak in. You're smart. You took the very jewels and gold and silver ornaments I gave you, the very gifts I gave you, the wealth, and you made statues of men and worshipped them. This isn't figurative either. This is literal. You remember at the base of Mount Sinai when Moses comes down the mountain and and there's a golden calf before him, and he calls Aaron, who's leading the nation while he's up on the mountain. He says, what happened, Aaron? I don't know. This is weird. Moses, you were gone for a long time. The people started to panic. So what happened, Aaron? How'd you end up with a gold calf? Well, we were concerned, so we took all of our gold off, and we threw it in the fire. And out came the cow. Who knew? 
and it's exactly how you sound when you end up in bed with somebody else's spouse. I don't know. We were just friends, and then <laughs> there it happened. It's not my fault. I'm inclined towards other people's spouses. Solomon's just inclined to a thousand women. You might be inclined to steal things or to gossip. We're all inclined to something. That's the lie of the church. The lie of the church is pastors don't struggle. That's a lie. Pastors struggle secretly. And then when the church discovers it, we run them out of town because we're all playing this little play. We all struggle. I mean, every one of us, except Julie. We, we all struggle, like, like really, really struggle. And your struggles may not be adultery with a thousand women or lying or same-sex attraction. Your, your struggle may be self-righteousness. <laughs> yeah, those people. Preach it. Preach it, preacher. I know somebody in this room who really needs what Mark's talking about. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Thank God for God. And I, I'm just telling you, we're in... Everything we have is a gift. Everything we've been given is for others. Everything we do is ministry. You've been redeemed and are in process of being recreated. And he who began a good work in you will complete it. He's going to complete it. The question is, how much damage are we going to do by feeding our flesh? Solomon took a gift that God's given him that wowed the world and he used it to commit adultery against the one who gave it to him. You realize what we're talking about, right? We're talking about living thankful lives. More on that next week because we're going to have communion together. But I, I think I think we, um, Mark, I'm going to talk about myself. When I say I think we, it's because I feel this too, okay? So that's why I say that. I'll never admit that again because y'all are worse than me. But I, th I think that we know we're spiritually in trouble, so we come to God and get saved. And then like, like when you have cancer surgery, you don't want to look back ever again. It's like I just want to remind you of whence you were saved. You have been redeemed. You didn't deserve to be redeemed. You, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. While you were dead in your trespasses and sin, God said, what can I do for you? And you said at the day of salvation, you can save me. God said, good for you. I'm going to. And just like Solomon, who was already married to Pharaoh's daughter, who had already fed his flesh at least once, God said, let me give you all spiritual blessings in Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 1. That you have a wealth in eternity that will never be tarnished by, by a thief or rust. You have all these things. And we love that. Remember when you first got saved and you were so excited about that? Remember how, how you were just, you couldn't stop talking about it. You wanted to get baptized. And when you did, it was a good day. It's happened. It's happened to us. We forgot to live thankful. We start believing that we were something. We start believing our press releases. Come to Carpenter's Way. You don't have to wear a suit. Our church teaches the Bible. We forgot that all of that means nothing because the day is coming and it's probably here when we'll want our ears tickled because we love ourselves more than we love God. And we will have a form of religion that denies the power of God that transforms. 
I'm not talking about carpenters way. The fact is that as my wake, I make my way through this community, I see you serving. And I'm not just saying that pastorally. I can't walk into a ministry in this community that doesn't have a half dozen of you serving. Good for you. I get emails from teachers who, who rejoice in one or two opportunities a year to love on somebody who's hard to love. Good for you. You're going to have somebody at your Thanksgiving table this week that you are glad only comes to eat turkey once a year. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. We are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. And you are uniquely gifted to whatever task God's asking you to accomplish this week, this year, and this life. Well, I don't know what they are. Then they're none of your business. You don't even have to know what they are. God will use them. Just be surrendered. Just be available to him, and he will use you. Have an awesome Thanksgiving. Just don't forget it's missional. Let's close in prayer. Father, every one of us can relate so that our thinking this morning can relate to what Solomon did. We laugh because we can't imagine having a thousand spouses. Most of us can't imagine handling one, a thousand but, Lord, we have a thousand uh, desires. And we have our own things that we do that feed our flesh that we know we shouldn't be doing, but we grade ourselves on a curve. We think, well, it's just a little thing, or nobody knows, but, but you know, God. You know. And you don't strike us with fire from heaven or lightning. You just patiently wait us for, to return. Yes, we damage our families. Yes, we hurt those around us. Yes, we miss opportunities of service. But you are patient and merciful and loving, and you never, ever reject us. You just allow us to feel the sting of forgiven things. And so I pray, Father, that this week, starting at this moment, we would above all else remember to be thankful for our redemption. And that when we read our own press releases and we look at the things that you allow us to do, that we do not believe that we do them because we are great, but because the great one lives within us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. If you'd like to pray, I'll be up here at front. Uh, we are, guys, if you're able to help, we need to clear this place out for Agape Feast. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. Guys, maybe just a little bit late. We appreciate your help. We'll stack the middle section.